Perhaps you've been at a place in your life, maybe you're there now, where you're getting ready to start something new. Maybe it's something you've been looking forward to a long time. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's school. Some of you, some of the college students and new college students here have been anticipating this. Maybe it's marriage. Maybe it's parenting, having first child or another child. Maybe it's adoption, a long process that you've been anticipating coming to completion. Maybe it's a move. Uh, and just before you begin whatever this new venture is, the horrifying thought comes across your mind. I don't have what it takes. Um, I, I am inadequate for this. I am in over my head. There are a lot of other people who are far more capable and would do this far better than I ever could. I think we can all identify with that, that, uh, some version of that experience. Well, I confess that that's sort of what I'm experiencing this morning as we begin the daunting and thrilling um, journey through the gospel according to John. Uh, this is something I've been looking forward to for years. I shared this with you last week, and I've been planning for it in the preaching cycle and wanting to get here for a long time. And yet as I'm on the start line, it is totally overwhelming. <laughs> and... Your song selection didn't help in that feeling of over being <laughs> inadequate for this task. <laughs> but my adequacy is from God. And, and, but I do, I sincerely ask you to pray for me over the coming months and maybe years. And we'll just have to wait and see as we work through John. I, I, I begin this with the heart that is heavy and so desires to convey the message of this book and the riches that are in it. Uh, so that I want to do it in a way that just overwhelms our hearts and our minds with the glories of Jesus Christ. Um, I don't take this lightly. Um, I, I desperately need your prayers for wisdom, for interpretation, for insight in the text. I desperately need your prayers for the illuminating work of the Spirit when I study and for the the enabling power of the Holy Spirit behind this this, this pulpit and and I ask you to pray for me. Part of the struggle is that I have so such high expectations of what God can do as we work through this gospel account of John. I don't view this or any other book that I preach and, and none of us do as just another series. Just we, This is what we do. We go through the next book of the Bible. That is not how I think any of us approach this kind of work. That, that are teachers and preachers here. I, I, we see this as an opportunity to, to experience um, a movement from God unlike we've experienced before. And, and I'm begging God not only for radical change in my life, not only for change in your lives individually, but I'm, I'm pleading with God to work in the life and the vitality and the spirit and the, and the very being and culture of us as a congregation to be transformed by the Lord. That's the weight I place on this. And, 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 and beyond that, we were there last week. As large as my expectations are, I know that God is able to do far more abundantly than all that I can even ask or think. And so with that in mind, we're going to begin the Gospel of John today. Technically, we'll be in chapter 1 next week. This is more of an introduction and, and, uh, and in introducing the Gospel of John, this is not going to be an information dump. 
where I just kind of unload all of that introductory material on you, the title and the author and the date and the place of writing and the readers and the outline and the purpose. Uh, I was sternly warned by my preaching professor in seminary not to ever begin a series through a book of the Bible like that. Um, and, and that is not because this back, that background information is unimportant. No, it is extremely important. It's critical to understanding uh, the message and the, the meaning of, of the text as we work through this book. But the problem is, if I unload all of that right here at the front of this sermon, you will have forgotten it all by the third week that we're in John. And we'll be in John a long time. And so it's a nice way to check off the box that I've covered that ground, but it's really not a helpful way in terms of the longevity of a, of a series like this. And so what we'll do is we'll splice in that background information where it's really pertinent to understanding whatever text we're in. And so we'll bring some of that in today, but we'll cover a lot more in the weeks to come. No, this morning what I want to do is just a, just two simple things. One, I want to share a few features of John that make it unique. Particularly unique as it relates to the other gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what we call the synoptic gospels. They're, they're similar. And, and so what makes John unique? And then, and then secondly, I just want to share a few goals for us as we work our way through the gospel of John. And so first thing, a few unique features of John. These are things that I would say, these are reasons that many of us love this book so much. And maybe I'll just ask, let's do a little quick poll this morning. If I ask, well, I am asking you, what is, if your fa- what, if, if I ask you what your favorite book of the Bible is, how many of you would say the Gospel of John? Alright, some of you can't even wait to get your hand out. Or it's okay, don't be embarrassed, it's good, it's, we're here. Uh, alright, so many of you, young, old, new believers, old saints, it, we, many of people love the Gospel of John in a special way. Uh, maybe another show of hands. Raise your hands if if God used this Gospel as an instrumental means in your own conversion. If this is part of your testimony, the reading or the preaching of John. Okay, many of you. And there's a reason for that, as we're going to see this morning. There's a reason that when we're sharing Christ with somebody, this is one of the places that we so often encourage them to read, is start in John. Those words have been shared by evangelists throughout the centuries. And again, there's reason for that. There's a reason when we have new believers that we encourage them to start with the gospel of John. And yet there's also a reason that, that many of us who have, many of you who have walked with Christ for decades now continue to mine the riches of this, this gospel account. And we'll see that this morning. But a couple of unique features. First thing I would say is that John is unique in that it's simple and deep. It's simple and deep. Someone has said, it's a book in which a child can wade and an elephant can swim. And we have elephants and children in this congregation. And that's, I'm talking about spiritual elephants and children. (laughs) Uh, That John is useful and profitable and challenging to advanced students of the Bible. Some of you have been with walking with Christ for years and studying the scriptures faithfully. You're still challenged and there's still new doors and just wonderful truths that unfold before you as you go deeper and deeper in a, in a book like the Gospel of John. And yet it's also useful and profitable and accessible to those who are reading the Bible for the very first time. That's, that's special. What God has provided for us in this account. A.T. Robertson, one of my favorite commentators on the 
Gospels in, in particular, he says it's the profoundest book in the world. I mean, there are hundreds, probably thousands of Bible commentaries written on John alone. It was just inundated. I mean, as I began months ago, kind of anticipating this, starting to find out what commentaries to get, I mean, the, the possibilities are endless. In my, in my tiny little pastor study, and I don't have a large library, but I've got a stack now of, of commentaries for John next to me, like 8,000 pages. That's just in print, let alone what's on my computer. But, but John employs this very simple language. And, and, he, and, and to convey a message that is both simple to understand and yet unfathomably deep. And so, so this is, this is, this is great. That's one of the reasons we love it. Second, John is intensely personal. It's intensely personal. You can, you compare it not to, not that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are impersonal, but, but John, this is set apart in this personal flavor of this gospel account. It's personal. Flavor is shown in the way that John refers to himself. He seems to do all he can in his account to hide his identity. But there will be times when he just can't help it because he's part of the story. He's one of Jesus' disciples. He's a personal eyewitness. This is a personal eyewitness account from what John calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's not a... That's not a boast. That is a humble, he's hiding his identity and he's just showing the importance of his close relation to the Lord. This, this comes across in, in, his, in the way he writes. I, I read S. Lewis Johnson's introductory sermon when, when he started preaching through the Gospel of John, which is a, it's, it's a danger. Howard's warned me about this over the years. It is not a good idea to read great expositors or to listen to them before you have your sermon prepared because all you can do is hear them and you realize this is pointless. What am I doing? It does not help with those feelings of inadequacy that I mentioned earlier. Um, but, but he quotes uh, Origen. It was of the third century. He says, the Gospels are the first fruits of all writings. And the Gospel of John is the first fruits of the Gospels. And no one can receive its meaning who has not himself lain back on Jesus' breast. And so I just say, since I think that's helpful to me, that since this, this intensely personal account of, of Christ, his life, his ministry, it needs to be studied and considered and applied with, with, with this personal devotion to Jesus, leaning upon his breast. And so it's, it's personal. Its personal flavor is also seen in its content. It's, it's not just a static recounting of the facts of Jesus' life and ministry. It's not a biography. Um, it is, it's really a piece of propaganda, as we'll see. It, it's this personal and passionate uh, persuasion of John to, to, to certain people to, to do something with Jesus. We'll get back to that purpose in a moment, but it's personal. Third thing that makes John unique is that it's, he's highly selective. He's highly selective. As I said, he's, he's not writing a biographical account of everything that happened in Jesus' life. And neither did any of the other writers. I'm not saying that that's what Matthew, Mark, and Luke were setting out to do either. If that was the case, these Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Matthew through John, that would be a pretty puny biographical sketch of, of someone as great as Jesus. 
Um, I, I, I was, as I was studying this week, I was thinking about that, and my, the biographies of my study are right across there, above the door, and a little shelf above my door. And I, I mean, there's a two, I have a two-volume set of biography of Martin Lloyd-Jones, and it's, it's about 1,500, almost, I guess, about 1,300 pages. And it's great biography on the life of a great preacher of the gospel. I mean, there's, there's other longer biographies. There's a four-volume Pulitzer Prize-winning uh, biography of Robert E. Lee that's some of 2,500 pages. When you put Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John next to that, and it seems like kind of scrawny. If that's what's intended is to be a biography of, of Jesus. Um, John isn't trying to write a comprehensive account of, of everything in Christ's life and ministry. No, he's carefully selecting under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we, we'll talk about the dual authorship of the Bible and coming, that'll be one of those background things and one of the things we talk about. But he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, choosing certain events and certain teachings of Jesus to tell us part of Jesus' story, not the whole story. He's, he's, and so you get into, look in chapter 21, if you're already there in John 20, John chapter 21 in verse 25. He says, there, now there were also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. They're not trying to write everything. And, and so apparently what we find is that John seems to be aware of the other gospel accounts. He's, he, Matthew, Mark, and Luke were probably already in circulation at this time. So he writes to make this unique contribution to the record of Jesus' life. He's, he's complimenting and supplementing what's already been spoken. And so what we'll find as we work through John is that the percentage is that 92% of what shows up in John is only found in John. That's, that's, that sets it apart. He includes a number of things that the other gospel accounts omit. And he, and he leaves out a number of the things that, that the other gospel accounts spill a lot of ink on. And so he doesn't, just for example, he doesn't give us an account of Jesus' birth. He just tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But, but all of the details of how Christ entered into humanity, that's left out. He doesn't mention any of the details of Jesus' baptism. He doesn't give us a single parable of Christ. But then what he does do is he gives us this, this most lengthy record of all of those memorable word pictures that Jesus used. All of those I am sayings. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of the li- of life. I am the true vine and so on. So he's, it's different. He doesn't say much about the Lord's Supper. He has four chapters on what happens immediately after the Lord's Supper. But he says nothing really of the institution itself. He doesn't describe Christ's ascension. Again, all the other gospel accounts deal with these matters. Does John believe that all of those things happened? Absolutely. But, but, but they've, they've been explained and, and they're not relevant to the purpose that he has in writing. And that brings us to the fourth thing that makes John so unique. And not that the other gospel accounts are purposeless. No, they have a purpose too. But John is purposeful. And in particular, he, he writes what his purpose is in very clear and plain language. He's one of those writers that's made it easier for us to just, by just telling us why he's writing. He ends his book by telling us what it's all about. He leaves the keys hanging by the back door and just says, come on in. This is, this is what you'll find. 
And so the key is what Ray read just a moment ago. John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. Let's read these verses again. They'll be on the screen. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. This is why John is writing his account. He's written these things so that, so that we'll... One thing, he's, he's, he's writing particularly to talk about these signs. He wants us to see something in Jesus' life. There's these, there are seven or eight signs, depending on how you count them and which ones you consider, that, that form the backbone of the book of John. And, and they're selected by the writer under the inspiration of the Spirit to show who Jesus is. To show us Christ. And he wants us to see those things so that we'll believe in Jesus, that he's the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. This word believe is, is key in John. Believe. So the, the verb is used almost a hundred times in the Gospel of John. It's, it's used twice as many times as it's used in Matthew, Mark, and Luke combined. And so believe, to have faith, to trust, and this believing has content, it's it has an, there's an object of our faith. It's that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And so He wants us to see who Jesus is so that we'll believe in Him and that believing we may have life in His name. And those are the really the key words in the Gospel of John that we'll find. It's signs, believing, and life. That's really, those are the keys that unlock the whole the whole book, I, I had asked Avery about uh, getting together an image as she as she usually does when we begin series like this, and I just said to her, I, I was I was trying to pull all this together, and I, you're better with this stuff. And I just said, see, believe, and live, and just go with it. I don't know, come up with something. And and the graphic that she came up, you nailed it. Pair of glasses, believe, and live is what's in focus. So I'm sorry, it's probably insulting to point these things out it's supposed to be perfectly obvious and i'm sure it was to everybody but i was i was on vacation i was wow that's great um but that that's it that's a great image to carry for us to carry us to to carry us through the study and and so see believe live life that's another that's going to be huge life eternal life i think they're synonymous here and, and that eternal life, that life that he's going to talk about throughout the Gospel of John, it's, it's both quantitative and qualitative. It has both aspects that can't be separated. To receive eternal life is to receive life in God through Jesus Christ. And so one commentator said, Eternity is more than merely unending time. Not only as to continuance, but also as to content, it is different in essence from everything temporal. It is something other, something something higher. Therefore, not only a before and an after. Eternal is no bare notion of quantity, but above all of quality. Therefore, eternal life is indeed endless life, but at the same time, more than deathlessness, it is divine life. So he's saying, this is why I'm writing. I want you to see who Jesus is. I want you to, I want you to recount these signs, seeing even with your ears. And, and seeing, I want you to believe and believing so that you can have life in His name. 
And so he has this specific purpose to, to provoke faith in his readers. More than any other book in the New Testament, John is explicitly evangelistic. And he's writing with non-Christians in mind. He, he's, he wants them to believe, to, to have faith for eternal life. To show that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that he offers this gift of salvation to all people who can either accept or reject that offer. That's why he's writing. Most think that he probably has primarily in mind those Jews that have been scattered during the dispersion. And so he's probably writing from Ephesus, as we'll talk about in weeks to come, to these unbelievers in, in Asia Minor. Mostly Jews, but also Gentiles. There's a strong emphasis on the world in, 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 in this gospel account. So that's the, that's the purpose. It's, it has this evangelistic purpose. Does that mean, though, that it's irrelevant for those who are already believers in Jesus Christ? Not at all. Uh, all scripture is profitable to, for us. There, are, there is gold waiting in these pages, that, as we're going to see. And so the purpose is very specific, but the results are endless for us. And so to believe, that's something many of us have done. And, and yet we'll see, and, and I'll show this in a minute, there's something we still need. There's an ongoing need to grow in faith. Life, it's never ending, yes, but it's abundant. And many of us lack that fullness of life that Christ came to secure and the experience of it. We're going to see in John 13 to 17, there's this, I'll call it an interlude that is dealing specifically with believers, the upper room discourse. And so there's much for our edification in, 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 in light of even the stated evangelistic purpose. Um, and so in light of this purpose, what I want to do for the next few minutes is just uh, to, to share with you three goals that I have. And I have more. I have a list of, I think, eight or nine Right now on my on the desktop of my computer, I'm just as I'm reading through the book and praying and meditating upon the text, just thinking of, of, of just ways that I'm praying for us as a church, for my own heart, for you, for our body t- together. But just want to share three, I think, that are tied to this purpose this morning. First thing is this. First thing I want is I hope that we have an increased passion for the name of Jesus Christ. I want to see it. I pray that we have greater hunger and thirst for Jesus. This insatiable hunger, this unquenchable thirst for Christ. Greater than we've ever known in our lives. That will feast upon the bread of life and be filled and satisfied with Jesus. They will heed the invitation of Christ. Come all who are thirsty and come to me and drink. And I will cause within you this, this river to spring up of living water. We'll know that, church. I hope that every week that we're in John, Christ just becomes bigger and bigger in our hearts and in our affections and in our thoughts. I was just thinking of the, the Chronicles of Narnia, that, that picture of it's, it's been a while since Lucy's seen Aslan and she comes and she sees him and his big face, his face of a lion. And, 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 and Aslan says to her, welcome child. Aslan said, Lucy, you're bigger. That is because you are older, little one. 
Not because you are. I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. And my hope is as we work our way through the gospel of John, that you and I will find Christ bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And as you find Jesus to be bigger, that our, that, that our love for him would grow larger. May this passion for the name of Jesus characterize our lives, and increasingly so, that we'll all live and say, live like it and say that Jesus is better. It's better than everything. We'll say with Martin Luther, let goods and kindred go, even this mortal life, everything, let everything go, only that I have Christ. That's it. He's all we need. He's all we want. He's all we have. May this passion for the name of Jesus characterize our assembly, that every week that we come, we're just sprinting towards Christ so that we can remember and worship Him together. I pray that there would be more of that fervor how we approach the Lord's Day gathering. May that may this passion for the name of Christ characterize our Sunday school classes and our small groups this year and, and the ladies' Bible study and the Bible Institute classes and whatever time we gather and open the Scriptures that we'd be so hungry to know more of Jesus. We're just scratching and digging to because we long to see Him more and to know Him more. And may it characterize the way we witness Jesus Christ, that people around us are just kind of knocked down and trying to figure us out by by our love for Christ, that our lives would be our greatest apologetic, not the things that we're so against that we post on Facebook, but the, the boast that we make in Jesus Christ because of our hunger to know Him. May it be demonstrable to those around us. And I pray... I pray that as the deer pants for water brooks, that our souls would thirst for Christ in the coming weeks. I pray pray that for me. I'm praying that for you. Uh, brother, I, I pray that for you, Wade. I, I, that is a, is a sobering responsibility to stand and lead us each week and worship through song. And, and I know that my brother already has a deep and abiding passion for Jesus Christ. It's so evident in his life. But I, I pray, brother, that it grows more and more through this. That, that when you come, you're just so engulfed in the worship of Jesus Christ. And it just overflows on us. I, I long to see it. And for the whole team, as the lead us in song. And everybody that reads scripture. And everybody that testifies to God's grace. I pray that we'll grow in passion for Christ in his name. That's one way I'm praying. Second thing I hope, I hope that we will believe more deeply in Jesus. That we will believe more deeply in Him. John's aim in writing is that those without Christ will believe in Him for eternal life. I think that is the clear and expressed purpose of this book. And in a group this size, there are no doubt those, some here who don't know Jesus Christ. Who have not believed in Him. Maybe young children, maybe, maybe people that have been attending here for years, decades even. You're not, you've not trusted Him. You're separated from God because of your sin. You're walking in darkness without hope, without God in this world. And, and I pray that you'll see these signs. I pray that you'll hear this message so that for the first time you'll believe with your heart Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you'll know life, life, eternal, abundant life.
I'm praying that as we preach through this gospel, that many souls will be saved. By the proclamation here on Sunday mornings, but even more so by your proclamation and mine as we go out from here Monday through Saturday. That, that this is what we've been talking about all summer, leveraging our lives for the mission of Christ, for the gospel's sake. And I pray that this baptismal will stay wet because we're just speaking of Christ in the context of the relationships that God has put us in. Uh, put every one of us in. And so we have some helps to that end, and I would just mention them, and I, there's a picture of it on the screen. But we have, we've printed up these inv- invite cards for this series, and and these can be used throughout this series. And so maybe we have a thousand of these things, I think, printed. So we've got plenty of them. So use them and, and pass them out widely. But many of you are already in a relationship with somebody. You've already been sharing Christ with them. And, and now is the time to invite them. And so next Sunday we'll be in John 1. It'll be a great time to invite someone to come if you've already been sharing Christ with them. And there's already that relationship established. So, so maybe that's how it will work for you. There are others that God has placed in your life that you've been convicted maybe this summer that you're just beginning to engage. And you're looking for opportunities to, 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 to leverage your life for the gospel's sake. And, and so... One of the ways I encourage you to, to, to do that is to use what you're learning as we preach, as we're working through the Gospel of John. Talk about that with others. And here, here's a way. Our brother Ed has made available. It's very helpful. Thank you, brother. These, these copies of the Gospel of John, just small, simple uh, translation of the Gospel of John. It's got a clear Gospel presentation. It has verses underlined for someone that's just brand new to the Bible Someone you're so maybe this is what you do. You take this and you start reading through this with somebody. Say, let's just read a chapter a week and let's talk. And maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a classmate, someone at school, students. Man, don't exempt yourself here. Um, someone at soccer. And so read it, read read this with somebody. Talk about it. Share what you're learning. Um, and then there will be opportunities along the way. Well, I'll let you know when they're coming up. But I mean, obviously, the whole book of John is evangelistic. And, and though much of our application will be for our own edification, but there will be those Sundays. When we're in John, John 3.16. There's a great Sunday to invite someone. And so use that invite card. And I'll let you know there will be particular Sundays along the way that I'll say a couple weeks from now, this would be a great opportunity. Someone you're praying for, talking with, invite them here. And, and we'll use those cards. So I just, uh, all that to say, I'm praying that as we leverage our lives in the coming months, live on mission where God has placed us, that there will be, I know there will be opportunities, and I pray that God will bring fruit from that, and that, that hearts will be saved. But, but there's another aspect to believing, and that's what I want to say to you, is that for those who are in Christ, we need to believe more in Jesus, more deeply in Him. It's it's. Funny how sometimes, even as believers, we talk about faith like it's just static. You have it or you don't. And it's true. You, you either have saving faith or you don't have saving faith. There's no, there's no in-between there. But, but, but John is going to make it clear that faith isn't, isn't static. It's, it's growing. It's to be maturing. Something we're always to be working on. Our confidence in Jesus should be more today than it was yesterday and more the next day than today. And that's what we want to see through this, through this examination of the Gospel of John. I mean, discipleship, you could say, is just believing more today than you did yesterday. Because 
Because our faith in Christ is to affect the way that we live. It affects how we think. It affects how we speak. It affects what our attitude is. It affects what our desires are, what our ambitions are. It affects everything. And so I pray that, I pray that we would grow in deeper faith, confidence in Jesus Christ. That these signs aren't given just so that we'll be amazed and say, wow, that's really cool. But it's so that we'll really believe and have greater confidence And Jesus, who is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing will have greater life in His name. And that's the third thing. I hope, my third hope and prayer is that I hope that we will experience more of the abundant life that Jesus offers. John 10, 10, verse we, many of us know, into that verse is, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus doesn't want you as a Christian to live a half-hearted life. He came to give us abundant life, to fill us with, with, with joy that's inexpressible and full of glory. Do you have that abundant life? Are you, are you just running on fumes? If you're not, and I'm not asking you if you have eternal life, okay? If you're in Christ, you have eternal life. But are you living life to the fullest. Saying, I'm not. I said, I'm praying for my own heart, my own self here. Has your life become kind of dull and routine and lifeless? If you put on a spiritual heart monitor, would it just kind of be a faint tick? Yes, you're living, you have eternal life. Is there that abundance to your life? A qualitative difference. This is what God desires from us. We would know this abundant life. I want to do one thing, and then we're gonna we're gonna do we're gonna sing and have something to show you. John chapter six. Turn there with me. John chapter six. I want to just look at one quick passage where these kind of themes come together, these goals come together in the Gospel of John. John six. We're about one year away from Jesus's crucifixion. The crowds are they're beginning to pick up on what's going on in Jesus's life and where things are headed. And that what lies ahead is destruction and sacrifice, pain, loss, death. I mean, Jesus is starting to make this pretty obvious. And so what's happening in John 6 is that people are just, they're packing it up. Followers of His. I mean, true followers of Jesus, they're, they're, they're going home. And, and so we get into verse 66. After this. Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where else can we go, Lord? Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. You see Peter's response. He's, we have, it's this passion for the name of the Lord, the Holy One of God. And we, want, we know that you alone give life. That's what we believed in your name. Where else can we go, Lord? That's it. We, we need to be like Peter. Where else can I possibly go? And yet... For obvious, we're not always like that. We're often like the other disciples that have fled. 
We have, we have a list in our pocket that we, maybe in our wallet, men, or in our purses, ladies, it's kind of, I have, I have some, a few lists and, that are just kind of gathered dust and then a little, you know, back recesses of my wallet that are there for a reason, but it's a list of places that I can go other than Jesus. I mean, I don't literally have that, but I mean, we have our versions of that. Here's where I'm going. I'm going to some dependent substance. I'm going to a pill. I'm going to a relationship. I'm going to my job. I'm going to that 401k. I'm going to my health. I'm going to my looks or popularity. I'm going to my reputation. I'm going to entertainment. I'm going to tradition. That's far safer than Jesus. Peter says, we have nowhere to go except you, Jesus. And I pray that that everything would be wrenched from our hands. Every, oh, that list would, would just be, we would, we would destroy the list and say with Peter, Lord, we got no place to go. It's Jesus. That's all we have. That's our confession. It's Jesus, period. May that be true of us. We want to believe more deeply in Him. We want to have a greater passion for the name of Jesus. We want to experience more of the abundant life that He offers. That's what we want. That's how I'm praying. And I hope that you will too. I just want to read one quote and then I'll pray. This is from John Owen, 17th century theologian. We call him the Puritans. Um, he said this, and I just really pay attention. I think it's on the screen behind me. The revelation of Christ deserves the severest of our thoughts, the best of our meditations, and our utmost diligence in them. What better preparation can there be for our future enjoyment of the glory of Christ than in a constant previous contemplation of that glory and the revelation that is made in the gospel. In other words, the best way that we can experience and, and, and prepare to experience the glory that is Jesus Christ that will be fully revealed one day in eternity is that we would, is, is to contemplate the way God has made that glory known through the gospel. That's what we're going to be doing. That's what we'll be doing in the coming months. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would indeed show us Christ through the preaching of your word as we study, as we read, as we meditate upon this text, that that Christ would be larger and larger and larger in our lives. That we would indeed have more passion for the name of Jesus, that it it would be the defining mark of our lives, that we would believe more deeply in him. Belief and faith and confidence in Christ alone is the antidote for sin in our lives, God, that just continues to lay hold of us. And that believing more deeply, we would have more abundance of life in Him. So may may our hearts just settle in to the gospel of Jesus Christ and stay there and be changed by it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.